Hey guys, welcome to the ninth episode of The Last Picture Hose. My name is Emma Beatty. And I'm Lily Stuplin. And we are here to talk about how to build a girl. We um, took a few weeks off, you know, quarantine has been, I wouldn't say quarantine has been keeping us busy, but maybe just like the existential weight of the world has been keeping us busy. I don't know, Lily, how do you feel? Well, I'm finally home. I retreated home to Pittsburgh last week. My dad came and got me, bless his soul. And now, what a nice man. <laughs> thank you, Mac. But now that I'm stuck in suburbia, if time wasn't a thing in Brooklyn, it definitely is not a thing here. Um, but it is still nice to, you know, have free range of a house and a backyard and not a 700 square foot apartment and no backyard with multiple televisions where I can be watching movies at the same time that my parents are finishing The Sopranos, which has been their current thing. Ooh, good for them. Yes, they are. I think they're in the final season, which has like an ungodly amount of episodes. And I sat down to like stomach my way through it with them once because I haven't started The Sopranos at all yet. And I just, I was like, I am, this is too far gone for me. So I I retreat upstairs, which which is great to have like that degree of separation. So, so I'm home. Exactly. Have a good change of pace and scenery. And I'm one state closer to you. So I feel better just because of that. Oh, that is so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. um, I have to, I have to give Lily a special shout out here because before she left New York to go to Pittsburgh, she did me a huge solid and went to my apartment and grabbed some of the stuff that I didn't bring home because I, you know, thought I was coming home for two weeks, not two months, two years, who knows at this point. So Lily went to my apartment, grabbed my stuff, took it home to Pittsburgh with her and then shipped it to me, which I very much appreciate. She's a very good friend. Oh, you're so welcome. Except I'm so sorry that it's so tragic. I shipped you your bridesmaid's dress only for you to tell me as soon as I dropped it off at UPS that the wedding that you were supposed to be in was postponed another year. I know. Yeah, it is a bummer. But you know what? I'll just leave it here because the thing is, I'm going to need it here anyway so it'll be fine you're right it'll be, it'll be great it just saved me from having to bring it on a plane a year from now so it's all good you're right you're right all right so like we said we are here to talk about Beanie Feldstein's film How to Build a Girl which we're very excited about but first we are going to do our quick question the quick question of the day is what's one movie that's been rescheduled that you would pay $50 for if you could see it tomorrow Lily go forth. Okay, but just can we preface this? Are we saying like $50? Like, am I watching this in my home? Do I get like a private theater experience? Am I going to a drive-in? Like, is there any caveat here? Do I get like a glass of champagne with it? What's going on? Yeah, I don't really know when I read the question why I specified $50. I think my intention here was like, you want to see it so bad that you would pay a lot of money to have access to it early. I think the venue is, is, you know, Maybe let's say for now, yeah, the venue is up for discussion, but let's say for the sake of this exercise that the venue is your home, but you'd still pay 50 bucks to see it because you're like, you want to see it so bad. Splendid. Okay. Well, I would even pay $50 to watch this on my phone. I was so looking forward to Promising Young Woman. I finagled the Focus Features, lovely people over there to send me a poster that is now hanging up in my apartment. I had read the script and loved it. I was, I know you've seen it already, brag about it, it's fine, but- that was my big thing. And because it was so, I think it was April 17th was the original date that it was supposed to come out. So yes, wow, exactly a month was. ago um, from today that we're recording. But yeah, that was my big one. And it, I think just because it's not a bigger tentpole movie, it hasn't found a new date yet. And they haven't, I don't know mm-hmm. if they've decided what to do with it, but I would, I would yeah. drop a, a pretty 50 to watch that tomorrow. Yeah, I, um, that's literally the last movie I saw in a theater before I came home. And it was 
literally the night before I was supposed to fly home to Michigan and everyone was starting to get like really freaked out about coronavirus to the point where like we had worked from home that day and I thought about not going to the screening because I was like I don't know should I even like get on the train like I was really worried about it it was right when we were all like really starting to get anxious and I was like you know what I really want to see this movie I think if I miss this I won't be able to see it for months like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go and so I got on the train I go to the screening room and there are literally in total three people in the screening room me and two other journalists and one of them happens to be a woman I know who went to Syracuse as well Lily and she turned around and she saw me and she was like oh my god thank god someone else is here because I walked in here the screening room was empty and I was like am I a total idiot for coming to this and I was like I thought the same thing like I really wasn't gonna come but I really wanted to see this movie and she was like I did too I did too so yeah it was like really funny we both survived we're both okay um, and I, but it's been hard because I've been dying to talk about this movie with you and you haven't seen it. But, well, I have, I have read the script, so we can talk about it, but we can't talk about it on the pod because we don't want, we don't want to ruin this for the people. So whenever this That's movie true. does come out somewhere down the line, you can bet your bottom dollar that that will be a topic of discussion for us. So stay tuned. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Um, I'm trying to think about what mine would be. So actually this, this is going to surprise you, Lily, but I think... So I have two. One is Mulan, actually. Mm. I was really looking forward to Mulan, and I was really looking forward to seeing it in a theater, like huge screen, big surround sound, lots of people. Um, I was supposed to go to that screening, too, before I came home, and then they canceled it. But yeah, I'm really bummed about that one. Who knows when we'll get to see that one. I don't think it's rescheduled yet, is it? Um, yeah. Mm. I think it's end of July right now. Also, oh, yes. funny you I think said that right. because I did spend half of $50 to see Mulan. Me and all my coworkers bought um, like Thursday night 3D IMAX tickets for it. And I have yet to get my money back for it. So I'm, oh, no. I am halfway invested to seeing Mulan when it opens. So I'm there with you. Oh my you. gosh. Yeah. And then the other one is French Dispatch, obviously, because I am a sucker for everyone in that movie. And I just really wanted to see it this summer. I really wanted it to, I assumed it would be a can. That's sad. Everything is sad. Oh, true. What was the, what was the original opening date for that? Um, I think it was in July. I can't remember the weekend. Uh, alas. Well, you know, we still have, we are, we are there. We're chugging along. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, Lily, because, like, if we are both still home for a while, it's possible, like, very possible that we will be able to go to movies here before we'll be able to even go back to New York or before we'll even, like, want to go back to New York. Oh, 100%. And luckily, my, uh, here in Pittsburgh, there's a good amount of drive-ins that I think Mm. half of them opened just last night and the rest should be opening Memorial Day weekend. I don't know if, I don't know how big drive-ins are. I'm so jealous. Do you not have them in Michigan? So we had one, we had one pretty close to where I grew up, but I think it went on a business a while ago. It was really fun in high school, though. We used to go on, like, dates and stuff. Um, double dates was very fun. And then I think the closest one other than that is, like, an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a bummer. But I would, I would, like, when this whole thing started, I was, like, drive-in theaters should, like, take advantage of this. This is a great opportunity to, like, prove your relevance or whatever. <laughs> so I'm glad that that is, like, becoming a thing. Yeah. Wow. The last thing I saw in a drive-in theater, because they always do double features, was... Yeah. This is the weirdest double feature ever. It was Ted, the original Mark Wahlberg 
Ted <laughs> okay. was, I think, the first one. And then the second movie was Prisoners, which is this Oliver Stone crime Sicario-esque people are fucking with like the Mexican cartels and of course Salma Hayek is the head of the cartel and of course Blake Lively is basically in a threesome with these two drug dealers of course and the opening scene of the movie is Blake Lively having said threesome with her two her two lovers and I remember it was like me and my high school boyfriend and like this this couple that was friends of ours that had like maybe just started dating and so it's like we open up on like <laughs> Blake Lively. Like, oh no. Guns a blazing and everyone's like, "Oh great." But yeah, that was that was my last <laughs> driving experience, but perhaps yeah, perhaps I, I will experience another one while I'm here. I don't remember the last movie I saw on a drive-in, but we did like it was I think like the summer before our senior year of high school or the summer after um this kid that I was dating and this other couple that we were really good friends with. We would go all the time like on double dates. It was so fun. Also, <gasps> damn high school okay let's get into the topic at hand which like we've said is how to build a girl the beanie feldstein movie do you want to do the plot summary though or do you want me to you can get the plot summary but before you do um just gonna give the rundown on where you can find this movie and when it came out so oh yeah this good idea of course so this movie came out on may 8th it was released by ifc and in lieu of not being able to be released in theaters, it was released digitally, so you can rent How to Build a Girl on any platform of your choosing, Amazon, iTunes, what have you, um, and that's a good way to, you know, support your indie films during this time. So yeah. That's what we did. Rent it for the low, low price of six bucks. Hey, I, I enjoy, if you think about it, if you were to rent this movie from, like, a red box and then forget about it like you always inevitably do to return it, and then pay your late fees and whatnot... That would have been it anyway. Like, remember the days when, like, you had to pay to watch one movie instead of getting this instant gratification of paying for your Netflix and, like, having all these things at your disposal? Like, rent the damn movie, people. Yeah, I mean, it really was um, an inefficient model. But, um, yeah, no, I'm not complaining about $6. I'm saying, like, that's a steal. An hour and a half of entertainment for 6 bucks? Hell yeah. Like, just do it. It's a great movie. So... The plot of the movie. Basically, Beanie Feldstein plays this girl named Johanna Morgan. She's from the UK, like this kind of like this like Nowheresville town in the UK. And she is a high school girl who's like trying to figure out what to do with her life. And she kind of stumbles into rock critique writing, like music writing. So she's working for this paper outside of London. And she kind of goes on this journey to discover herself through writing about rock music and she like makes some crazy friends along the way and like learns some really important lessons when things inevitably come tumbling down as it would if you were a 16 year old trying to write about rock music in the 90s. It's based on the book of the same name by Caitlin Moran and she wrote the screenplay as well. Mm -hmm. And also, so the book, and therefore the movie, is actually a semi-autobiographical take on Caitlin Moran's own life. Like, she's a very prominent British journalist and television host, and she grew up in a very similar upbringing to the character Joanna, like, poor, supporting, like, her family with her writing and, like, working through that space. So a very, like, cheeky coming-of-age British movie that I would like to say cured my existential dread for the day when I watched it about two hours ago because I was having a yes. downer of a Sunday and as you can attest by my my live texting you as I watched this I it was a treat yes Lily um I watched it this morning Lily watched it this evening and she was texting me during it and it was like lovely to I don't know I, I feel like it's been a while since we've gotten to like experience that kind of like 
Um, watch a movie together you mean (laughs) yes I mean like literally so it was like so fun to like hear you know what you were thinking about but yeah I think the funny thing you mentioned it's semi-autobiographical what is interesting about this is it's kind of hard to determine what exactly is based on Caitlin Moran's life and what is not because I know that you know she's said in interviews well you know it's it's fiction it's you know, the character might seem like me, but it's not my life. It's not like whatever. She kind of like has that attitude about it. So half the time when I was watching, I was like, oh, did this really happen? I wonder if this happened. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It's always like a fun little journey to go down. But yeah, we love a good British, British comedy. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of our niche. Yeah. Our last two episodes have been standing feel good British comedies, but it's like, I, I think it's great to give them that experience because I feel like this movie if it wouldn't have been so distinctly British like if you would have taken this story and Beanie Feldstein and like made it Americanized it this would have gotten like a bigger deal like this would have been a bigger deal this wouldn't have been like a smaller IFC movie just like released to to you know digital streaming I felt like this would have gotten some more attention and it's like I don't know if it's just because like Americans just think that any film that comes from not their own country and is not about them is like not not <sighs> worthy of yes. the attention but like both these films and since we did the fighting with my family episode like literally two or three days ago I've like seen people just randomly posting about finding it and watching it with their friends or their family while they're in quarantine and how like nice it is and it's just it's just nice to have nice things okay <laughs> It is. I would be interested to know um, what the, like, chatter about this movie is in the UK based on here, because I don't know if I've heard, like, really anybody talking about it here, but I wonder if it's a bigger deal there than it is here. Yeah, you're right. It's a very British story. And, like, it should be. It's very, it's very cute. Oh, I liked this movie. Okay, let's talk about Beanie Feldstein, who is so amazing. How did you like her performance? It, it took me like a good five or ten minutes, as you could tell by my live texting you as I watched this, to mm. get into the groove of her country British accent because I, yes. I don't know, maybe I'm just so used to like Booksmart and Ladybird Beanie that I was, because she she's plays that same sort of like gregarious, larger than life character here that she did in those two movies, but like obviously with mm-hmm. a very distinctive 90s and British flair. Yeah. so at first I was like, whoa, wait, wait, that's not, no, 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 no. But it's like, here we are, we hear Saoirse Ronan speak, um, you know, with an American accent yeah. all the time. But so it took me a little bit to, to get used to that. But I think like once you get into the groove of the movie with her, I think her character fits in so well, like within her family unit, because her family's like a riot, like her and her relationship with her brother um, and her dad. And I think she really, she meshes well with all of them. So I think it was a really good role for her because she's still kind of playing that you know, that larger than life character that she's used to, but at the same time, going out of her comfort zone a little bit with the, you know, the period piece, if you want to call it that being in the 90s, and then also the Britishness of it. Yeah, I loved her in this. I thought she was so great. I think, you know, I find it like so refreshing, because I think 10 years ago, someone, we wouldn't have seen like, girls like her in the lead role in a coming of age comedy like this. And, you know, I think, it's just it's just so nice to like see people on screen who like more accurately reflect real people. You know, I think that always bothered me when I was watching movies about teenagers when I was a kid. It's hard to watch like a movie about teenagers and the teenager in question is Rachel McAdams or whatever who is like stunning and next to her is Lindsay Lohan. You know, it's like how is this like and Beanie Feldstein obviously is beautiful. I'm not saying she's not. It's just like it's nice to see people represent teenagers who aren't 
a Barbie doll. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I found that really refreshing. Yeah, and I think her character, I think this movie has a touch of kind of like magical realism with some bits that they like bring into the movie, but I think that she really grounds it in that she makes a lot of mistakes. Like this is obviously a coming of age story Mm -hmm. and, and she like screws up a lot and I think her just the way that she plays her character, she gives them room to, like, screw up and you still, like, appreciate them and mm-hmm. see them for their worth. And I think that that's, especially for a coming-of-age story for girls to, to watch, like, I think that that is, I think that's great. So we stand. Yeah. There was something about her that I, like, found so relatable, you know, because I remember, like, being a teenager and you... There's, she has that line in the movie where she's like, you know, when I walked into that show, I couldn't have cared less about rock and roll. By the time I left, it was my entire world, you know? And I remember being a teenager and, like, learning about a new thing and then becoming so obsessed with that thing and being like, no, 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 this is my thing now. Like, I'm so obsessed with this. And you just have this, like, curiosity about the world and you... Was it rock and roll? You're so... <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but you, you like, want to be older and you want to find new things and you want to, like, try to be an adult. And sometimes that backfires on you because you're not meant to be an adult. You're a kid. And yeah. I don't know. I just Newsflash, found it to be, like... Honey, is it fucking sucks. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, kind exactly. Of sort of not really. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a conversation for another time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, I think even though this is obviously, like, a wildly specific story and it is maybe on its face, it, like, isn't as quote-unquote relatable like I think there's so much to like in this and um I just really enjoyed it I'm so excited to see she I think she she's done obviously a few of these like coming-of-age stories she's been really great in all of them but I'm really excited to see her do something a little bit more serious and obviously we have a very serious project of hers coming up that I hope still comes out this year I don't know what the plan is on releasing it but she obviously is um portraying Monica Lewinsky in the next season of American Crime Story yeah, that'll be great for her because I think she has that range. I mean, she's she's going to be in that Richard Linklater movie. Yes. Merrily we roll along. Yes, that they're literally going to be filming over the course of, I think, 15 years, mm-hmm. which is like a pretty meaty, meaty thing to take on. So that's exciting that she's finally yes. getting, you know, these, the, the meat on the bones, per se. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think she... Very obvious. She she seems like she has the range. I'm excited to see her see see her do more serious in terms of tone. Um, yeah, I love her. I think she's great. I'm like so excited. I wanted to ask though. You mentioned like some of the magical realism parts of this movie. How did you feel about the like talking heads part of this? <laughs> her Godwall. Okay, so so to preface, yeah, Be- Joanna Beanie's character has a Godwall in her bedroom. That is essentially everyone's, you know how we all used to have Seventeen Magazine and Glamour, like, cutouts of models and movie stars and stuff on all of our walls? She has that, but, like, of all, like, the best. It's, like, Frida Kahlo, like, Joe March from Little Women. <laughs> Joe March, Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah, like, um, Karl Marx is up there. Um, yes. <laughs> Sigmund <Plath>. Freud. Sigmund <laughs> Freud, Sylvia Plath. Yeah, so she's got her Godwall, and they're played by all of these like these little cameos that like you would hardly be able to tell unless you kind of like I don't know unless you stuck around for the credits but it's really I I really appreciated it and there's a a few other parts um in the movie besides the godwall in her room where we kind of get these like characters popping out and talking to her and I think it's really charming and I think it just adds to the fact that she she had to grow up because she had to like support her family like she was 16 years old writing these articles Mm -hmm. and literally paying her family's rent but at the same time she realizes, you know, at the end of this, like, she is still a kid and she still is growing up to do and she is still 
building herself as a girl, so to say. Um, and I think, yeah. I think it's a really cute way to kind of like let everyone else know that like she is still a girl and that like, you know, she's still a child and still has these things. And like, God, I might need to get some cutouts of Joe March and put them up on my wall and talk to. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny because like in certain parts of, um, in certain parts I liked it and then in other parts I was like not as much a fan of it. It like, where there were times that it came off like a little bit too cheesy for me because you know I'm like allergic to cheesiness. Mm, I love cheese. <laughs> I know, I didn't like hate it, but there were times where I'm like, I like probably could have done without it and I would have liked the movie all the same, you know? I don't know. But it was, it was I think, like a little cute touch to like kind of set it apart from other movies in this genre, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And then what? We have Lily Allen plays one of the cameos. Yes, and Jamila Jamil is Cleopatra. Yes, Jamila Jamil is from The Good Place. <laughs> has, is yes. And she, I don't think Cleopatra of all the talking heads like doesn't say anything, but is just giving a side eye the whole time. Yes, and has like really great like winged eyeliner. Yes, <laughs> super fun. And then speaking of Lily Allen, her brother, Alfie Allen, just so happens to be the romantic lead in this movie. I have so much to say about this. I'm literally like grinning ear to ear right now i am so excited about this him in this movie it was so great i just think because we've all been exposed as american audiences to alfie allen like purely in a um game of thrones sense where we're like oh my god this guy's like a fucking asshole and like yes he does have his redeeming arc by the end and you know game of thrones world is just like gritty and dirty anyway and here he is this beautiful blonde cleaned up like indie singer songwriter character that uh Beanie's character has to write a feature on and they end up striking up a really close friendship slash romance-esque sort of thing and it's just he is the freaking cutest can I put him in my pocket I want to (laughs) uh I was so yeah I think I you know obviously him playing Theon Greyjoy well watching okay watching Game of Thrones and then watching him do this I it's not like I ever, you know, underestimate, like, I never really thought much about, like, what his range was, but I watched this and I was like, oh my god, this kid can, like, do both ends. Like, this is really lovely. Yes, he's so charming and so cute. I was, like, I was, like, bowled over by him. He's so adorable. Yeah, I loved it. I, I thought it was really appropriate, too, that, um, well, I don't know. This might be kind of a spoiler. Okay, I'm not gonna say that because I don't want to, like, spoil too much for people who haven't seen it, but yeah, I thought he was so great. Oh, yeah, I I, I, will, just love I will say this without spoiling it. I I think that his character ends up going in a direction that like his sort of character typically wouldn't, and it's all for the better. Like it just yes. like it. I think it sells totally. the movie, and I think that it it makes this set itself apart from other like coming of age type movies that much more. And mm-hmm. he really like nailed that so well. Yeah. Yes, okay, it's like his character very, very easily could have been a huge cliche, and they avoided that in a way that is, like, really tactful and cute, and... And we stand. And he played it well. Oh, I love him. I saw him, I mean, he was in Jojo Rabbit, too, and he had, like, a pretty... He didn't have a ton to do in that movie, but also was great in that, so I'm just, like, really excited to see what he gets his hands into. Like... Alfie Allen, I we stand. Yeah, I, I, love I think it. this was. I think this movie was such a great exercise for both of the leads because it's like, yeah, it's something totally like out of what we've seen them do before, and I think it just opens it up for them so much more. So, yay! 
Yes, I like. I want all the good things for both of them. <laughs> okay. Really put me in a good um, mood. Speaking of, I know this was such a lovely little, lovely little film. I it was so great. So, but I do want to talk about. Um, I do want to talk about like the last third of the film because I found myself thinking like, oh, I liked the first, you know, hour and fifteen minutes of this a lot more than like the last thirty minutes or so. But how did you feel about it? I think it did feel a little rushed compared to the first two acts in, in the story. Kind of like it ties up all the ends in a way that you're like, okay, like this escalated a little too quickly because I think the first two acts mm-hmm. take their time in getting her to the spot that she gets to with writing and being a known and like, I guess, semi-respected, semi-taken-seriously writer and journalist. And then it kind of wraps everything up. Like, I don't want to say with a neat bow, but... I think it just clips along a little too fast at the end, but I think that yeah. I think that like the closing scenes still it's a chef's kiss to me. And it's like it has to have a happy ending, you know, this sort of sort of story. But yes. so I think that all in all it didn't bother me that much. But I do I do think that if they would have drawn out kind of like the lessons that she learned and gets to by the third mm-hmm. act, as opposed to like spending more time getting there in the first act, that it would have had even more of a payout, but I still, it didn't bother me that much, but I see what you mean. Yeah, I feel basically my, like, gripe with it, I guess, was that, like, the kind of, like, emotional climax of the film, which we will, like, not spoil here, I just felt like it, like, came on a little too fast, and I was like, oh, wow, I was not expecting that, and I mean, it wasn't, I I maybe wasn't as, like, and and then, like, once we got there, we maybe, like, glossed over it a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, that one, there was, like, one section that I felt like, oh, maybe let's, like, take a beat here and, like, breathe a little bit. It's I think it could have, like... I'm not going to ruin it, and you're not either, but it was definitely one of the ones that I texted you about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel like it maybe could have, like, could have used another, like, 10 to 15 minutes, but I do think the way they, like, transition then into, like, the end of the film is really nice, and, and yeah, the payoff is really great, but I I did find myself thinking, like, ooh, like, let's, let's like, sit on this for a second and, like, really... Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I, I, I think we could have done with... I think if, if you didn't have to add on to the movie, if you just had to, like, take from somewhere else to put meats at the end, I think we could have done with, like, ten less minutes of exposition, because I feel like there was a lot... Like, the opening scene is very much kind of, like, the beginning of Easy A, where she's narrating, like, you know, how she's, like, such an unseen loser in her school, stuff like that. Ah, uh, yes, yes. We, we get that here, I think, to, like, a little too drawn out of the effect. That could have had better payout at the end, but c'est la vie. Yes, there's also um a fun, a fun surprising uh, fourth wall break at one point. A, a random little surprise. I think that's what you're talking about, how, like, the movie wraps up. It's like, yeah, like, the third act gets a little, it gets a little too quick for those emotional payouts, but at the very end of the film, when yes. she does her fourth wall break, it very, it, it gave me flashbacks to watching the end of season two of Fleabag, where she obviously does her fourth wall breaks the entire series, but at the very end, where she kind mm-hmm. of, like, does the final wink and wave at the camera, and then she walks off into the distance, I got the similar, the similar vibe from, but... yeah. Well done. I I almost wonder, you know, again, like, I didn't dislike it. I was just kind of like, oh, this is, uh, this is random. But, like, in in a way that didn't, like, bother me. I don't know. I just, I'm not, like, trying to, like, pick nits here, um, because I did really like it. But it did, I did wonder if I was like, 
should she have been doing this the whole time or like I don't I don't I think it I, I think I it goes with kind of like the talking heads like Heather's parts like the the yeah. quirks to this movie that I think make it a little more distinctly British that if this story were taken and done in an American setting it wouldn't have had because I think these sort of things make it so distinctly British like that they're willing yeah. to be yeah. a little like quirkier and weirder about it um like there's there's one scene where she is like kind of walking in a dream sequence and there's fireworks going off in the background and like clearly this movie did not have like the special effects budget for real fireworks it's cheesy in a yes. way that you like you kind of bought into it by then yeah but yeah but i i think that's what kind of makes this very quintessentially british but yes and another thing that makes it quintessentially British is an Emma Thompson scene at the end. <laughs> Literally, Emma Thompson rolls through in, like, 30 seconds of this movie playing, like, the exact character that she plays in Late Night and pretty much anywhere else that she has, like, a very brief cameo in, um, playing just, like, badass British, badass British Emma Thompson. I mean, I will take her anywhere I can get her. Oh, for sure. I was like, oh, hey, <laughs> but... I mean, and then there's also a Chris O'Dowd cameo um, very briefly in this movie, too, which is super fun. Yes. Yeah, because I think this movie is definitely, definitely has indie vibes, but it's fun to it's fun to have those little cameos in there. I agree. Yes, very very cute and almost like um like with the talking heads, it's almost like Easter egg ish in a way because like again you wouldn't have you wouldn't have really known that those people were playing those people on the wall if you unless you were like looking at the IMDb or like sticking around for the credits. It's so fun mm-hmm, for sure. I love it. Okay. So we really liked this movie, obviously, as you can tell. Even my little complaints about it, I still really enjoyed it. And I am very happy that we watched it. But last order of business, as always, Lily, in your opinion, what is the sexiest part of How to Build a Girl? Ah, How to Build a Girl, sexiest part. Okay, so obviously, as with any teenage coming-of-age story, we do touch on sex a bit in this movie. And I really appreciate how it's not a big deal kind of going with the Talking Heads magical realism bits, there's, like, a, a portion where she is, like, explaining how she loses her virginity and is now, like, having sex with all these musicians and is, like, you know, becoming, like, a new sex goddess and everything. And you quick cut to all these, like, dream sequences of her, like, doing it with these guys. And I think it's so, once again, I feel it's very quintessentially British because I feel like that wouldn't have been so brashly done in a more American film, but I love how it's mm, mm-hmm. like, I think it's, it's sexier that it's not a huge deal that like, obviously that yeah. is a big part of like a character, a teenage girl finding themselves and like becoming who they are. But because this particular character had so much other, so many other things going on in her life, like providing for her family and, you know, ha- starting a career when she was 16 and like having no friends in the middle of all that and having a relationship with her family and, and all of these other things going on that, like, they didn't, like, make that big of a deal about it, which I appreciated. Like, they didn't have the Lady Bird-esque breakdown where she's like, I was on top! Who was on top the first time? (laughs) It was a lot more, like, tongue-in-cheek than that, which I thought was fun. And I appreciate the perspective there, and I think that makes it even sexier. Oh, and there's also (laughs) also a very funny... um, reference when she's talking to her talking heads on the wall and she's like asking them advice on like how to be pleased and makes a joke about finishing herself off and then finger guns the wall (laughs) (laughs) and then like like, it was so good hand sound effect of like you know like western guns going off and i thought that was chef's kiss yes i agree i thought that was super well done 
Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. What are my sexiest things? Well, I mean, if you couldn't tell from me gushing about it earlier, obviously I think Alfie Allen is so lovely in this film and really adds like a, I don't know, he just adds like a layer of, um, well, I mean, like charm, number one. And also like the thing about the way that they did those, those like montage sex scenes, and they're not even like, I don't know, they're kind of like dream sequences. If you watch the film, you'll see. I think, like, compared to that, he brings, like, a level of... That feels very, like, silly and fun and playful in, like, a way that is really... It works really well. He's, like, those he's like the but then, mature... Like, yes, he's, he brings the maturity, like, the groundedness. Yes. Like, he like, is an adult, and you can tell, even though he's, like, a rock star or whatever. A rock star. A rock star. I'm a musician. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it, like, works... I think those, he, he helps bring some balance, I think, to the, like, other aspects of her love life. And then also... Another sexy part of this movie, in my opinion, are Beanie Feldstein's outfits. Oh, so fun. What? <laughs> They're so fun. And she's fully just like, I'm here. And I love that. Oh, wait. I thought it was Can great. Can I, I full disclose something? Yes, please do. <laughs> this might come as a shock to you. So, okay. Remember, like, when the last few years, this is totally related, I swear. Um, like, the last few okay. years when you were in, like, I don't know, late elementary school, junior high, when you still went trick-or-treating with your friends... And yes. I don't know if this is the same for you, but my mom would always detest and like try to never buy me the store-bought costumes because they were so expensive and then you would just throw them away after like wearing them once. And, totally. and, she, I get yeah, it. I and get she'd be it. like, make your own, blah. Which, you know, she was basically just setting me up to be a sorority girl in college um, and I didn't realize that. But I remember one time I like insisted that she buy me something and she bought me like whatever was left off the clearance rack and it was like this this costume that had a top hat like not unlike the one that like you know how Beanie's first outfit when she gets into like her wild persona her Her, like yeah her Dolly Wild writing persona she kind of looks like a ring like a punk rock ringleader that was like essentially the costume that I had (laughs) oh my god yes and I will do my darndest to try to find a photo that we can share on our last picture host social media because I was just gonna because say I, you need because to. when I saw her like roll through in this costume for the first time, I was like, I feel so seen. This was me at one point. It, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, she just like fully. I feel like whoever did the costumes in this, um, just really like they went for it in a way that I think is really gratifying. Yes. To it's nineties. It's, like, it's, it's so fun. Nice to see. She gets to she gets to do something that she hasn't done before, and it all the payoff is there. Yeah. All right, Lily, I'm so glad we got to watch this movie. It's like a little ray of sunshine. I know. And then even talking to you, because we haven't done this in a few weeks, and I know that our fans have been starved for content. Oh, yes. Obviously, we've been getting texts left and right. Everyone is like, where are the last picture hoes? are demanding the hoes to be back in action. (laughs) And let me tell you people, the hoes are back in action. And better than ever. (laughs) I wouldn't say that, but... <laughs> no, we're truly just trying to survive. At least they're both reading from their parents' liquor cabinets again. Exactly. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Last Picture Hose. My name is Emma Beatty, and you can find me on social media at Emma Beatty. And I'm Lily Stuplin, and you can catch me on social media at Stooks. And also, you should follow The Last Picture Hose at Last Picture Hose. We post fun photos of like. Sir Ronan and Timothy Chalamet. And I don't know. It's fun. In one of my embarrassing Halloween costumes when I was younger. Who knows? Exactly. If you want to see, if you want to see Lily in an embarrassing middle school esque costume, 
throw us a follow, throw us a follow on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. And we will see you guys next time. Stay healthy, stay safe, hang in there. Bye.